This morning, again, we will be reading the Decalogue, and the sermon is focused on the Ninth Commandment. Let's first of all receive the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism. It is printed in the bulletin. What is God's will for you in the Ninth Commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no more words, not see printed there the scripture citations uh, which underlie the catechism's instruction. Also, you have as a flyer uh, for sermon notes um, the uh, instruction from the Westminster Larger Catechism. These are our his- part of the historic standards of our church, and this uh, emphasizes the positive, what the Ninth Commandment requires. I commend this to you, and look at all those Scripture verses that are cited there. This is a great study in and of itself as we seek to walk in God's ways and keep His commandments as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now let us ask the Lord who breathed out His Word by the Holy Spirit and has preserved it for us in Holy Scripture uh, now to breathe upon us afresh, that we will receive His Word in true faith. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give You thanks and praise that You are good and Your law is good. Your Word is true. You love us and You speak to us for our own well-being. You have spoken your word through the prophets, and you have spoken your word to us in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And the word preserved for us in Scripture is your voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. Help us by your grace to receive your word in faith, to embrace it, to rejoice in it, and to follow it. For the glory of your name, amen. I invite you to open the Pew Bible uh, to page 61 for the reading of the Decalogue, the moral law of God in unison. This is the Word of God. It is written. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a hard finish or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth for thee or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who they make. But show accept that law to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do 
Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 17. We will not read this in unison. I'll simply read it and invite you to follow along from the Pew Bible or your personal Bible. But I would call to your attention that in this passage, In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is giving instruction to the new covenant people of God in Christ as to the application of some of the Ten Commandments. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, as the pagans do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the new nature, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, ninth commandment, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Sixth commandment, ninth commandment, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, eighth commandment, but rather let him him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, ninth commandment, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, ninth commandment, be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Last Sunday we said that that oath is basically an oath to obey the ninth commandment while giving testimony in a court of law. 
And therefore, the ninth commandment is foundational to our nation's system of justice. And the primary focus, the initial focus of the ninth commandment is truthful testimony in a court of law. But beyond the courtroom, obedience to the ninth commandment is foundational and essential to every healthy and happy and mutually beneficial relationship. God gave us the ninth commandment for the same reason that He gave us all of the commandments, because He loves us and wants the best for us. God is good, His law is good, and His law is good for us. Last Sunday, we also saw how the ninth commandment expresses or reflects the moral character of God Himself. The one and only true and living God is, quote, the God of truth, Isaiah 65, 16. It is, as Hebrews 6, 18 says, impossible for God to lie. Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. His word is truth, John 17, 17. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character and, quote, his words are true. 2 Samuel 7.28 Therefore, falsehood of every kind is abhorrent to God because falsehood is of the devil. Falsehood reflects and expresses the character of the devil himself because he is, as Jesus said, the father of lies. And therefore, the Scripture says that the Lord hates, the Lord hates a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Review from last Sunday. Now I'm going to pause right here and digress a bit down a little rabbit trail. Not too far. But you might maybe have had this question in your mind. Is it always a sin to lie even if it's for a good purpose? That's a serious question. Here's the simple and brief answer. No, you do not have to tell the literal truth to a doer of evil who would use the truth to do evil. Here's an example from the Bible. You remember Exodus chapter 1, the story of Moses leading up to Moses' birth, evil Pharaoh, issued an evil decree that the Hebrew midwives were to kill the Hebrew male children when they were born. But the Scripture tells us the midwives feared God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They did not do that, but they let the male children live. So Pharaoh called them into his presence and says, Why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? Their own lives were probably on the line. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, technically speaking, the midwives lied to Pharaoh. But their technical lie was not a sin. How do we know that? Because the very next verse says, Quote, so God dealt well with the midwives. It was the right thing to do, 
not to tell the truth to Pharaoh. It saved innocent lives from evil. And this biblical illustration became vividly real again during the Second World War when Christians in Europe hid Jews from the Nazis and, technically speaking, lied about it to protect innocent lives from evildoers. You don't have to tell the truth to a doer of evil when the truth would enable that person to do evil. The ninth commandment does not require you to be an accomplice to evil. That would be a contradiction of the law of God itself. So we're just going to clarify that. But that was a little digression down the little rabbit trail. Now we're going back to the big idea. The big idea of the ninth commandment has to do with our speech, our speaking, the use of our tongue. Each of the commandments, you remember, this is really important, each of the commandments provides a heading of major category. For example, you shall not murder covers all of the issues that would fall under the category of the sanctity of human life, the protection and the promotion of the well-being of innocent human life. Likewise, you shall not commit adultery, covers everything, everything that would fall under the category of the sanctity of sexuality and sexual morality for the glory of God. And you shall not bear false witness, therefore, has to do not only with truth-telling in court, but our speech every day, the words we speak, the things we say, every time we speak, 100% of the time. It has to do with what comes out of our mouths. Does it glorify God or not? Does it express love toward my neighbor? Or not. Now let's think about this for a little bit. And by the way, if you do a, a, a word search on your computer, just and type in the word truth or lips or mouth or lies or deceit, just see how many biblical references come up. Hundreds, hundreds of references will come up. This is a big deal. So let's think about it. Our ability to talk is so basic and so natural, it's so familiar that we we just take it for granted. But do you realize that the ability to speak in meaningful, coherent, communicative language is primary evidence that humans are created in the image of God? No other creature can do that. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is the divine communicator, the divine speaker. Humans, and only humans, have been endowed with the gift of speech because we are created in the image of God. And by the gift of speech, think about it, we enter into and maintain human relationships. Just as God enters into relationship with us through His Word, the eternal Word incarnate, Jesus Christ and His Word of truth preserved for us in Holy Scripture. And if we're to glorify God with our hands and with our feet, whether eating or drinking, and in all that we do, then surely we are called to glorify God with our mouths in all that we say. The true God is the God of truth. 
His Son, Jesus Christ, is the truth. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of truth. His Word is the Word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. And therefore, dearly beloved in Christ, if indeed we are the people of God, we are called to be the people of truth. In that light, let's look at the passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and following. It begins with a call to holiness, a, God to, a call to godliness in response to the grace of God in Jesus Christ, in, in response to the salvation which He has won for us through His death and resurrection. It is a call to a way of life different from the way we lived when we were unbelievers. Verse 22 calls us to put off our old sinful nature as though it were dirty clothing. Be done with it. And to put on the new, the born-again nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the gospel of our new life through what Christ has done for us living for us a perfectly sinless, righteous life on our behalf, offering Himself up as our substitutionary sacrifice for sin, and rising from the dead as the victorious Savior from sin and death and Satan and hell, ascended to heaven as our great mediator and an intercessor. Now we're called to live in relationship with Him. It, and this is a reminder of what God has done for us in Christ by His sovereign saving grace, bringing us, yes us, up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Therefore, if indeed we are in Christ by faith, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we are called to live the new life in Christ as His redeemed people. And what does that look like? Well, look at verse 25. Look at the book. What is the first specifically listed point of evidence which shows that we really have been renewed, given a new life by Jesus Christ? What does Paul say? What does God say? Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Primary evidence of true salvation, we are people of truth. When Paul is exhorting the Ephesians to live out, really live out, walk the talk, their new life in Christ, the very first thing he says is having put away falsehood, meaning, meaning having turned away from your old way of life that was full of lies and deceit, having renounced the devil and his deceitful schemes, speak the truth with your neighbor. Obey the ninth commandment as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who is himself the truth. Paul uses the word neighbor. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And therefore, this instruction applies to our conversations with all people. Every man and woman is our neighbor. Paul's instruction to the Ephesians and to us applies generally to all. And this is very important. It will be very, very important in the culture in which we live. That in our public witness, in our interactions with everyone, 
in our daily life. We're called to be people of truth. We ought to be known as people who speak the truth. But in the very same sentence, Paul adds, quote, for we are members one of another. Now that phrase, we are members one of another, applies specifically to the church, the body of Christ. So I think Paul is placing a special emphasis on the way in which we, members of the body, the church, communicate with one another, speak with one another. And you, th- you have to remember, in the first century historical context, you see, Paul was teaching these former pagan Gentiles the importance of living according to the Ten Commandments as believers in Jesus Christ. He was teaching them how to live together as the body of Christ. And of first importance was speaking the truth with one another, living as the people of truth who belong to the God of truth by His grace and His mercy. Now look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. It is not necessarily a sin to be angry. That's part of the human psyche created by God. But it is a sin to act sinfully. It is a sin to act in sinful ways in anger so that anger controls us and inflames our emotions and we end up breaking one of God's commandments. So it says, be angry and do not sin. Well, now let's think about it and let's think about the context. One way not to sin when you are angry is not to say hurtful, ugly, sarcastic, demeaning things to the other person. One way not to sin when you're angry is not to speak in a hurtful, hateful way. Now, one uh, non-biblical quote that speaks the poignant truth to me personally is this. Speak when you are angry, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. (laughs) I'm sorry to say that I have found that to be shamefully true about me. I'm really good at it when I get on a roll, and that's not a good thing. But staying on point right here in this passage from Ephesians, we have the New Testament application of the Ninth Commandment. That's why I interjected that all along the way. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So if you're reading from your own personal Bible, you might want to write in the margin beside verse 29, ninth commandment. This is the positive, constructive, spiritual obedience to the ninth commandment. It's not simply that we don't tell lies. It's not simply that we don't speak in an ugly way. But more so, positively, we are to speak in ways which bless others, build them up, encourage them, so that our words give grace to those who hear. Never forget how powerful your words are. For better or worse, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And therefore, as people of the truth, we're called to use our tongues to give life. 
especially to each other in the family of the church. Last Sunday in Sunday school, I made the comment that the Lord has blessed His congregation with a spirit of unity, loving fellowship, joyful worship, care for one another, and affirmation of each other in our various roles of service. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Let's not take that for granted. Let's be careful, as Paul says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's speak so as to give grace to one another, to build up one another, encourage one another. Words of appreciation by which we honor one another. Words by which we recognize and rejoice in one another's gifts and abilities. The way we speak to one another as a church family is very, very powerful. It's true in general. It's true in marriage. It's true in family relationships. It's true in the church. The ninth commandment calls us to love one another with our speech. And 1 Corinthians says that love is not rude. It's not irritable. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This rule of love should apply to our speech. Love believes the best about others. You don't have to be naive and foolish. Or, but, but, you know, the bottom line is in the Christian fellowship, love inclines us to believe the best about our brother or sister in Christ hopes the best about others, and therefore speaks the best about others. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. That is to say, whoever covers an offense, that means doesn't dwell on the offense, doesn't talk about the offense to others, tries to put that offense in perspective, seeks to minimize it. And, and, and granted, this verse is speaking about, you know, the little, the little stump of the toes and the bump of the elbows. This is not talking about major scandalous sin. It's just talking about the friction that arises between human personalities and, 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 you know, the frailties of our human nature. And every now and again, we're going to step on each other's toes or, you know, you know how that is. But the one who covers that kind of offense seeks love, doesn't make a big deal about it. He's seeking to love the offender in that situation, but he who repeats a matter, talks about it repeatedly, won't let go of it, spreads it, maybe blows it out of proportion a little bit, that person separates close friends, destroys a friendship, destroys a fellowship. So as we seek to protect and to promote healthy fellowship in the church, let us remember that the ninth commandment forbids not only speaking gossip, but also listening to it. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Never forget that the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He does everything he can to make us look bad in the eyes of one another. He's the one who is always seeking to tear us apart by tearing us down. As Christ's people, the people of God's truth, we're called to build up one another in grace, putting into practice the principle that 
Love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4.8 goes along with that proverb. As we live with one another, we love one another. And we know that we're all, we're all frail sinners who need the grace of Jesus Christ. So look carefully at the way in which this passage concludes. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's Paul's way of saying, be very aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, among you. Do not do anything which would grieve or, or displease Him or cause Him to remove His blessing from you. What does that mean, practically? Well, Paul tells us in the very next verse, look at the book. Verse 31. What are we going to do not to grieve the Holy Spirit? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, anger, Clamor, slander, all of them have to do with the ninth commandment. The internal dispositions and emotions of bitterness and wrath and anger find their primary expression through our tongues, along with clamor and slander. Instead, as people of truth, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, people with whom the Holy Spirit dwells, corporately, people who glorify God with their mouths, we are positively, this verse continues, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That necessarily includes the way we speak to one another. We're to live according to the truth of the gospel the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore we are to live that out in our speech with one another, remembering that God has first spoken the gospel to us in kindness, in tenderheartedness, with forgiveness. One last quote. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If our hearts are truly filled with the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's mercy, God's kindness, the abundance of God's truth in Jesus, then our mouths will speak in ways that are good for building up, giving grace to those who hear, to the glory of God. May the Lord set a guard over our mouths and keep watch over our lips. Psalm 141.3 May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to the God of truth. May our mouths be instruments of praise and glory to the God of truth. And as people of truth, let us 
Let us bear true witness. Let us bear true witness. Let us bear true witness to the saving grace, mercy, power, and love of Jesus Christ our Lord, to the glory of His name. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice in Your great goodness to us. We give You thanks for Your Word. Your Word is truth. We pray that You would sanctify us in Your truth. And help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being more and more conformed to His likeness, for the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith. This morning from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, my body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to finish the purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him. Amen.